were face to face, you ever heard a person make that statement, that share that clause? You probably heard it. You probably said it at some point. You know, we were we were face to face. I came face to face with that person. I came face to face with that situation. When you think about when you come face to face with something or have a face to face encounter, it it leaves a lasting impression upon you. It's something that you are going to remember, maybe for your lifetime, definitely going to remember for some time. A face-to-face encounter leaves a mark on your life. I can remember several years ago, I was uh, in Uganda uh, with a short-term mission team uh, sharing the gospel. We were going house to house, uh, shop to shop through rural villages and uh, when I put a, a mission trip together, when, if I'm the one planning it, typically what I will do is build a fun day, fun experience into the week or the 10 days that we're gone. And in, in Uganda, it used to be a safari experience. And so our fun day would begin early in the morning because we would usually stay uh, at least an hour or so from the uh, National Park, the Queen Elizabeth National Park. And this particular trip, we were, I don't know, 20, 30 miles outside of that on the edge of the valley uh, that goes down into where the park is. And and so it took some time to get over there. The roads are not easily accessible. There's lots of bumps. And so you just don't drive 70 miles an hour down a third world country's highways unless you want to have back problems for the next 20 years. And so it takes a while to get there. And so you get up early in the morning, you leave, you get to the safari or the, the national park, maybe around daybreak, a little before that, sun's breaking. And what you want to do is you want to get there early enough so you can see as many animals as possible before they retreat into the shadows when the heat gets up. And so that usually lasts about 10 o'clock in the morning. And, and then what we would do is we would head over on this trip. We did the same thing, head over to this peninsula that's uh, on the banks of Lake Edward. It's on the banks also of the Kazingi Channel that leads from Lake George in the north to Lake Edward in the south. And, and there at Moea Safari Lodge, we have a wonderful brunch. Some of you have been with me to Uganda. So you eat this beautiful brunch and it's sort of a buffet. It's awesome because you've been eating uh, very basic things for a number of days. You've been eating Ugandan food and now you're getting a little bit more Western food. It's, it's an incredible thing. And then we go down to the Kazinga Channel and we'll have a boat ride that lasts about two hours and get to see all kinds of uh, other wildlife that are coming down to the water, hippos and elephants and uh, things like that, baboons. So it's a great time. Uh, on this particular trip, uh, up to the Moea Safari Lodge, we would run a little bit late in the safari watching animals. And so we didn't have as much time to eat before we had to get to the boat ride. And so we ate brunch, or should, should I say we scarfed it down. And I sent most of the team down the hill because it's up there on a plateau. It's a beautiful uh, 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 scene. You can look down the channel, look at the lake behind you. You can see the park. And so I sent most of the team down to make sure the boat didn't leave us. Me and a couple others stayed up on the hill, paid the bill, they took the van, which means we were hoofing it down the hill to get to the dock. And it's, I don't know, it's about a half a mile, three quarters of a mile down the hill through the bush, this little trail. We get past the gate, and I think it was me and maybe two other people. We get past the gate, and I look down in front of us, and a giant leopard comes out into the road, turns, and walks away from us. I don't believe the leopard ever saw us, never knew we were there, but of course, I freeze, got people with me freeze. We look at this leopard and thinking, Oh, goodness. I mean, it's like 75 yards from us, but we could have easily been the mid-morning snack. And so uh, we watch it. It walks and it darts into the uh, bush again in the same direction that we needed to go. And so we decided to walk on. We get up there, and I estimated about this place where it went into the bush was the trail that we needed to take to get, to get down to the dock. And so we kind of pause for a moment or two, assess the situation, assess what might happen to us, and we jump into the bush. 
and uh, decided, well, we got to do it. So we went on, and, and the only thing I had in my pocket was a little pocket knife, and I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, goodness gracious, don't attack us. Because if you know anything about leopards, a full-grown male can be 150 pounds. It's a ferocious, opportunistic type of predator, and we would have been no match for that cat on that particular day. We got down there, got on the boat, had a wonderful boat ride. We get back, we're headed back up the hill in the van, and just before we got to the gate, a leopard, the leopard, or maybe the leopard's mate, walks across the road in front of us and had this giant lizard in its mouth. And I was just I, the happiest I could be that that was lunch and we were not lunch. I will forever remember that day, not because I was scared out of my out of my mind. I was cautious, obviously, but that was one of those moments where you just didn't know what was going to happen as we stepped into the bush and walked this little trail through these, these, these bushes, really. There's not really trees. It's just bushes there. Uh, something bad could have happened. It marked us. And so now we didn't necessarily have a face-to-face -face encounter, but it was close enough for me to be considered a face-to-face -face encounter. And so it's left a memory that I will never forget. And as we're walking through now, verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to discover this morning in this passage that we're going to look at a face-to-face -face encounter. We're going to see two individuals who came face-to-face -face with Jesus and be in that encounter, in that moment, in that situation, they were forever changed. A lasting mark was left upon their lives. And what I want us to learn this morning is that when we come face-to-face -face with Jesus, when we have an encounter like that, we're going to see that He's the one who satisfies the deepest longings and the deepest uh, needs in our heart, the deepest needs in our lives. And so if you got your Bible open... Look with me in Luke chapter 2, and let's begin reading in verse 21. I dealt with chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 on Christmas Eve. If you missed that, uh, that, that, that Christmas Eve service and you want to know what this text is all about, I would encourage you to go to our website and you can watch that, that uh, service there. I, I dealt with these 20 verses in 15 minutes. It was a miracle under heaven that we did that. So let's pick up in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he, that's Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or, a, or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. 
She did not depart from the temp temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's a fascinating scene that we are, are, are looking at here this morning as Jesus is being presented in the temple and circumcised and, and His name being given to Him. It's very similar to what we've already seen uh, in Zechariah and Elizabeth. Remember when John was being presented on the eighth day, they did the very same thing. They circumcised him. They gave him his name. Now Mary and Joseph are doing the same thing. The eighth day, verse 21 tells us, comes and they circumcise him. As we've already looked at this, this probably was happening at the home that they were staying in. They also name him Jesus, just as Gabriel had instructed Joseph to do. They were in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. I think we've already dealt with the name a little bit, but let me just remind you about this name, Jesus. It was a common Hebrew name in that day. It simply meant Jehovah is salvation, or the Lord is salvation, the Lord saves. It comes from Joshua or Yoshua in the Old Testament, which means the same thing. So that's what happens on day eight. Then we transfer, or we speed ahead to day 33 as we come to verse 22. Here we see Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus into the Jerusalem, into the temple area to present him to the Lord. The law commanded a purification period of 33 days for a woman who had given birth. And so ladies, if you're wondering if what we have today is better than what we had back then, right here is that. You didn't have to wait 30 you don't have to wait 33 days today to move on with your life, but back then they did for purification. She could not touch anything holy. She couldn't enter the sanctuary. Uh, she was unclean until the 33rd day, and then she took these actions. And so at this period, end of this period, the Bible says that the woman was to bring to the priest a year-old lamb for a burnt offering as well as a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Now, God gives some leniency here, and if a family, a husband and a wife, couldn't afford a lamb, then that woman could bring two young pigeons or two turtle doves to offer as the burnt offering and the sin offering. The priest would take those and make atonement for her discharge. They also, because Jesus was her firstborn, had to redeem him. The Bible says that every firstborn son was the Lord's, and so that was uh, they had to redeem that child back from the Lord. That was the price of five shekels. And so Mary and Joseph are doing these two things as they are finalizing the purification of Mary's uh, period of uncleanness. So what we see here in Jesus' first month of life is that he comes face to face with Moses and the law, the commands that God had given Moses uh, to Israel. Uh, but we also see two other people, those two that we just read about, Simeon and Anna. Now, Luke gives us the only details we have about these two scenes. We have no, nothing about Simeon from uh, Matthew or Mark or John. We don't have anything about Anna from those writers. Only Luke gives us this picture of what took place between these two individuals there in the temple. And so Jesus met Simeon, or better yet, we could say Simeon came face to face and met Jesus. What does Luke tell us about Simeon? Well, we don't know much about this man. We, we do know that he came from Jerusalem. It doesn't mean he lived in Jerusalem. He could have been there visiting, but he comes from Jerusalem. We also don't know anything about his age. Tradition, historic tradition, church tradition, would see Simeon as an elderly man, specifically 113 years old. But Luke gives us none of those details. They're just speculations that people have made 
uh, throughout history. We do know that he was righteous. We do know that he was devout. We do know that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he was waiting for the promise God had made to bring comfort to Israel through a Savior, through a Messiah. So there's a messianic hope in Simeon's heart. Luke also tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon this man. In fact, it's the Spirit that leads him to the temple at this exact moment when Jesus was being presented, when Jesus was being uh, um, presented there before the priest in the temple. And on this particular day, it's the Spirit who leads him to take Jesus up into his arms and to bless him and to prophesy over him and to speak to Mary about what his life would become. And so that's Simeon who comes face to face with Jesus. The other person is Anna. Anna is a lady who Luke describes as a prophetess. Doesn't mean she was a pastor, just means that she falls in line with some of the other women in the Old Testament who spoke for the Lord, who prophesied and said, Thus saith the Lord. And so she is a special lady. She's a saintly senior, if you will. The Bible also tells us that she was a widow says that she had been married for seven years, and then she had lived as a widow, worshiping the Lord through fasting and prayer in the temple since that time. Now, you could, also, you could understand it in two ways. Either the grammar here tells us that she's 84 years old at this moment, which means she's lived as a widow, say, for uh, 70 years or so, or she has lived as a widow for 84 years, which means she's probably closer to 100 years old at this point. Either way, she has spent her life in devotion to God and anticipating his Christ. So Simeon and Anna come face to face with Jesus. And as you can imagine, as you read here, those encounters leave a mark upon their lives. They leave a lasting memory on them. It changes them. And so this morning, what I want us to see is that when we have a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, it, like it does for them, satisfies those longings, satisfies those deep needs of our heart in a way that nothing else and no one else can in this life. And so what happens when you encounter Jesus? Three things I want you to see this morning. First of all is this. When you have a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, you recognize, just like Simeon did, that Jesus is God's salvation. Jesus is God's salvation. Look with me in verse 29. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to talk about these encounters. I'm going to talk about um, how they came face to face with Jesus. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, what I'm going to come back and, and look at this passage largely, but specifically we're going to deal with verses 39 and 40 and talk about how Joseph and Mary as parents rearing Jesus, because this is all we hear and know about Jesus's early life. In a minute, we're going to see kind of break into the year 30, year 33. But what do we know about Jesus early on is found right here. So next week, what I want to do is kind of talk about how Mary and Joseph as godly parents rearing this young child, how they lived that, how they modeled that, how they walked in faithfulness there. But this morning, let's talk about what happens when we come face to face with Jesus. And we see here that we understand and recognize Jesus is God's salvation. So that's the commercial for next Sunday. Verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What we see here, what we read here in these three verses is the fifth and final, what we might call Christmas 
song in Luke's gospel. Uh, it's a worship hymn. It's, it's a hymn that's, that's about blessing God for keeping his promise of Messiah. It's also a hymn of salvation. It talks about what Jesus is going to do, how he's going to uh, uh, bring salvation and, and the details about who can receive it. And so as we read this short hymn from Simeon, it's important to keep in mind the larger context of spirituality, both in Simeon himself, but also in Israel as a nation, Israel as a people. So what do we know of Simeon? Well, Luke already described him as a righteous and devout man. What does that mean? Well, it probably means that he believes the word of God, right? I mean, how can you be righteous before the Lord? How can you be devoted to the Lord and not believe his word? It means he obeys his word. That's who Simeon was. That was his character. That's how he lived his life. He, it also means that he was a regular worshiper in the temple. Uh, some people might argue, well, I don't, you, you don't have to be a, a person who regularly attends church and be a Christian. On the surface, I'd, I'd say, yeah, that's true. But if you want to be a good Christian, you're going to worship with the church. I would actually make the argument that if you have no desire to be with God's people, you might want to check yourself and see if you're actually in the faith with Jesus. So I think we can infer here that Simeon was a regular worshiper in the temple. He prayed. He presented his tithes and offerings to the priest. He, he, he lived the word of God out in his life. He allowed it to be pressed out through his life. We also see that he was committed, or this would mean that he was committed to the law. He was committed to the prophets and the Mishnah. But not only him, Israel was committed to these things. This was a very deeply devoted, deeply religious period in Israel's history. They were, they were dead set on following the law, following the prophets, following the Mishnah, or the teaching of the priests and the Pharisees. The Jews here in this period of their history understood why that their ancestors had been exiled centuries before. They understood that it was because of their faithlessness. And so now in their religious duty, in their religious pious, that they wanted and believed that God would bless them, that God would send a Messiah to them in response to their faithfulness. Their ancestors were kicked out of the land because of faithlessness. They believed God would give them a Messiah because of their faithfulness who would deliver them from the Romans, and all of their oppressors. So the Jews, like all other peoples, fell into the spiritual trap of thinking that their good works, their devotion could and even would result in God's blessing upon their lives and upon their nation. They believed that somehow they could sufficiently keep the law, that they could sufficiently live up to the standards of what God had said, or at least they believed that their righteousness at some level could outweigh their unrighteousness. That's not what we see in the Word of God. That's not what we see at all in God's Word about how to live a lot, our lives. See, what the Jews failed to recognize is that man's work is not sufficient. It's never sufficient. Isaiah would tell us that our righteousness, what we think is good and satisfactory to God, is like filthy rags in his sight. It's like blood-soaking rags, pus-filled rags in the sight and the presence of Almighty God when you compare those two things. What we want to do as humans is compare ourselves to one another. Man, I'm so much better than the other person. But we can never do that. We compare ourselves to the holiness and the righteousness of God. And so Simeon understood that. 
And here we see he's waiting. He's looking for the Savior that God was sending to them. He understood that his spiritual devotion was not good and sufficient on its own. He understood that God was sending something, someone better, that he was sending a Savior who was sufficient. And so on this day in the temple, as Simeon came face to face with Jesus, as he has this encounter, in that moment, what is he declaring? He's declaring the sufficiency of God in salvation. Look what he says in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon doesn't say, my eyes have seen my spiritual devotion to the Lord. My eyes have seen how well I keep the law. My eyes have seen how my righteousness outweighs my unrighteousness and brings favor upon my life. No, what Simeon sees here is that Jesus is God's plan of salvation, not his own. And that's what we have to see in our own lives as well. Salvation is the work of God in a person's life. It's an encounter with Jesus which brings an awareness of one's sin. So like Isaiah, you see your sin for what it is. In Isaiah 6, 5, when, God, when Isaiah has this encounter with God there in the temple, as he sees him seated on the throne of the train of his robe, filling the temple, as he catches a, a glimpse of the Shekinah glory of God, he sees himself as he really is undone and unclean. He cries out to the Lord, and the Lord touches his lips. If you know the, the story there in Isaiah 6, he heals him and brings salvation to his life. So salvation is God's work in us, not our work to God. We see ourselves justly condemned by our sin when we understand God's salvation. We see that our sin separates us from him, the God who loves us and created us for himself. We, we see also the beautiful gift of forgiveness and the life that's offered to us. And so in that moment, God leads a person to trust in Jesus through confession and repentance and turning from sin and turning from self, turning to Jesus as the Savior and thus being transformed. Simeon's encounter with Jesus led him to not only confess God's sufficiency in his salvation, but also God's sufficiency in bringing salvation to both Jew and Gentile. I want you to notice this, because as we think about God's plan of salvation, it's not just for us four and no more, right? It's for the whole world. Look what he says in verse 31, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What Simeon here is confessing is that God's forgiveness of sin is good for all peoples. It's for Jew and Gentile. That God's salvation is for every tongue, tribe, people, language, culture, everyone on the face of the earth. It is for all people. So often we get so narrow-minded and so narrowly focused in our understanding of salvation, and we think that this is an American gospel, or we think this is a Southern Baptist gospel, or we think whatever, but we need to understand that God's plan of salvation is for Jew and Gentile. I love what the Revelation points out to us, that there's coming a day that we all gather around the throne, every people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, from all eras of history, and we worship the Lamb who seated on the throne. Have you had a Simeon type of face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him and him alone for salvation? If not, what would keep you from doing that? The second thing I want you to see here, when we have this face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, we recognize that he satisfies. Jesus satisfies. Look there in verse 29. We see here that G, that, that Simeon is describing, or Luke's describing the satisfaction that Simeon expressed 
in Jesus. Look what he says. Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. When, when Simeon looked into the eyes of that one-month-old baby Jesus, think about this, eternal God setting in his arms one-month-old. That, that's just a, a scene that's hard for my mind to wrap around, that God would clothe himself with humanity and, and veil his glory, veil everything about himself, and yet he's God incarnate right there in the hands and the arms of Simeon. As he looks into his face, Simeon realizes Man, everything that I've longed for my life is right here. And there's a peace that I've never known before that I'm experiencing. Peace settles over his life. He's in this moment at rest with God. The deepest longings of his heart were now met. His needs were completed. Jesus did this for him. And we know that Jesus will do it for us. You see, for Simeon, in this moment... All that he had believed for, all that he had hoped for, all that he was longing for, it's confirmed as he looks at Jesus and he understands the equation that he's built his life upon. The Messiah, or Jesus in particular, because now he knows who this Messiah is, what his name is, what he looks like. Simeon understands Jesus plus nothing equals the peace and the rest in God that I was created to experience. And it brings this sense of satisfaction in his life. Nothing else could ever fill the voids in his life. But Jesus has and Jesus does. And how we long for that sort of peace and rest. Think about how we or what we do to, to, to try to find that sort of peace in our life. We chase everything this world has to offer. And what does it do for us? It leaves us empty and longing for more. We'll chase fame and fortune, and sometimes we will find fame and fortune, or people will find fame and fortune, but what do we know about those who find fame and fortune? It always leaves them longing for more. Amen? You get a few dollars in your pocket, and you think, man, I've arrived now, and what do you, what do you find out? Well, it, something happens. You're either contending over trying to keep those dollars or the things that you use, use those dollars to buy, and the things you think you're going to bring into your life that's going to fill the void. It's never satisfying. You're always longing and looking for something else. We chase fame and fortune. We chase fun and family, and there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Nothing wrong with fame. There's nothing wrong with fortune. There's nothing wrong with having fun and, and being on vacation and having recreation. There's definitely nothing wrong with family. But if we build our lives on those things, they will always let us down because you weren't made for those things. We chase sex and security. Again, neither of those is a bad thing. They're gifts from Almighty God. God is our secure. And yet if we're finding our hope and finding our sense of satisfaction in those in and of those themselves, we will be left empty and unsatisfied because they leave us wanting more. Some people, because they can't find satisfaction, will turn to something to numb the pain. They'll turn to alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be. And so they're trying to cram things into their lives to fill the void, to fill the vacancy, to numb the pain, to heal the brokenness that we all experience. And all the while, none of that works, and it further brings more and more brokenness. And yet what Simeon here is declaring is that God alone is the one who heals the broken spaces of our lives. He brings peace. The satisfaction that we find in Jesus does something else. Look over at verse 38. 
we see in Anna that it brings gratitude. Satisfaction is is portrayed here through Anna as she gives thanks. She comes up on on this scene. The Spirit is leading her as well. She walks up there. Simeon's holding Jesus. Mary and Joseph are there. They're dedicating. They're going through this ceremony. And she looks at this, and in a moment, she understands everything she's been hoping for is wrapped up in that little baby in Simeon's arms. And she begins to give thanks. She begins to be grateful. She begins to express her gratitude to anyone and everyone who would listen to her. See, her face-to-face encounter with Jesus resulted in an offering of thanks to God for his goodness. And so when we look at this, we read this, we need to realize that God has sent a Savior for you. And when we understand that the natural response in our hearts and in our lives is to be grateful, to give thanks. We don't want to be like those those lepers in Luke 17 who were healed by Jesus but walked away and never gave thanks. We want to be like the ones who turned around and gave thanks for the Lord and what he'd done in their life. Jesus satisfies. Jesus is God's plan for salvation. There's a third thing that I want you to see this morning. When we come face to face with Jesus, we recognize that Jesus must be gossiped. Gossip. You say, why use that word? It's because we're so good at gossiping, right? The wrong kind of gossiping, but we're good at it. Did you hear about so-and-so? We do that sort of thing. But when it comes to the things that we should gossip about, many times we're too silent. But notice what Anna does here. Look again at verse 38. Look what Luke tells us what Anna does. She gives thanks to God and to speak him. She She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Luke tells us here that in addition to being grateful, Anna gossips Jesus to everyone. Everyone who's standing around, everyone who's listening and waiting and hoping for the Messiah. She goes and she begins to say, I have found the Messiah. I have found the Savior. I have found the one that our hearts have been longing for. I found the one who satisfies the deep longings of our soul. I have found him. I found the one who's going to bring hope to our nation, hope to our world. I have found him. She gossips. Jesus. The news of the Savior was just too sweet and good for her to keep to herself. She wanted others to know what she knew. And so she becomes an evangelist to those who are there. She's personally sharing her faith. If you know the Gospels, you know in John chapter 1, this is exactly what Andrew did. John chapter 1, verse 41, John tells us that when Andrew met Jesus, the first thing he did was go and tell his brother Peter. He went to his brother Peter and says, I have found the Messiah. I have found the one we've been longing for. I found the one that can change our lives. And he shares Jesus with his brother. And so what we see is Anna and Andrew and everyone who we see in the Gospels who met Jesus face to face and was transformed by him shows us that the natural response to his salvation is to gossip the gospel, to tell others about Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want people to know what we've known. We want them to experience what we've experienced. We want them to be saved as we've been saved. We want their sins to be forgiven like our sins have been forgiven. We want their eternal address to change to be just like our eternal address. Heaven, not hell. We gossip the gospel. We'll speculate here for just a moment. Think about this with me. What would have happened in the lives those Anna spoke to about Jesus if she had chosen not to tell them the good news? Luke tells us that she gossiped the gospel. But what if she just said, man, this is a really neat experience, personal experience, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to treasure this in my heart. 
I'm going to keep this to myself. What would have happened to those people's lives? What would have happened in Peter's life if Andrew, after meeting Jesus, said, man, this is awesome, and Jesus has really done something wonderful for me, and I'm grateful. But I hope Peter can figure this out on his own. Hope Peter can, can navigate and his path can come and cross Jesus' path. What would have happened in Peter's life and so many other people that we read about in the Gospels if after meeting Jesus face-to-face and being changed by him, they'd have chosen to not speak about Jesus? We can only speculate. Obviously, I trust in the sovereignty of God and all of that, that God's going to bring those people into, the, into the, his path and the path of the Gospel But what we can know for sure is this, quite possibly they might have not ever have met Jesus. They might not have ever had a chance to hear from Jesus, place their faith in Jesus. And so when we think about that, we got to ask the question, what are the dangers of failing to gossip the gospel with those in our circles of influence? The danger is they may miss eternity and wind up in hell. They might miss the goodness of God and the, and the gentleness of God and the salvation of God in Jesus and find their way into a place called hell that they justly deserve, as we all do, but they could have missed that if we would have simply opened our mouths and shared. They also would have further ruined their lives because broken people cause more brokenness. You ever heard someone say broken people, or I should say hurt people, hurt people? That's true. And that's what happens. The, the hurt that we've experienced because of the sin just leads to more and more hurt, more and more brokenness in our lives. So until we meet Jesus, we're a hot mess. And even after we meet Jesus, we're a hot mess, but we're a little bit, we're a little bit cooler as he's bringing some sanity and some transformation to our brokenness. Face-to-face encounters leave a mark on your life. A close encounter I had that day in Uganda, which I love the nation of Uganda. I long to go back there someday. But the day that I was walking down that trail with whoever was with me, I can't remember if it was the last team we took, which would have been uh, people from here and people from my former church, or if it was just one of those years that I was still in Alabama. But whoever is with me, that day, walking down that trail, seeing that leopard come out into that path, is probably something we'll never forget, right? I mean, it was one of those moments like we... I, we could have at least been mauled and left uh, with arms dangling from the side or something. Who knows what would have happened? Or maybe I would have been the hero and killed a leopard with a pocket knife, right? That would have been awesome. I would have brought that sucker back. It would be in my office today if that was the case. Maybe we'll just tell the story like that. It makes it sound better. That day marks those of us who were there. I think back many, many years ago, spring of 19... 97, specifically because I'm a date guy, April 24th, 1997. I got up that morning as I read my Bible as I always did, and there in my devotional time read 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I, I was struggling. I've told you the story. This is my testimony many times. I was struggling with my own personal salvation for five years. I had walked in serious doubt of it. I'd prayed a prayer as a teenager, a young teenager, and it never felt right. In fact, I knew the day I prayed the prayer and did the things at church that nothing had changed, and yet I tried to make those personal decisions create salvation in my life. And so I was a mess. I was a spiritual mess. I was an emotional mess. And that particular morning, I read that verse. I go to work. It was a Thursday. I know that because that particular semester, I went Monday, Wednesday, Friday to class. And I worked in the afternoons. And on Tuesday, Thursdays, I worked a full day at the place where I was employed. 
I remember going to the shop there in the warehouse and that verse going through my mind and reverberating over my heart all morning long. And finally, I got away. I went to the showroom. I knelt down in the restroom, getting away from my colleagues and fellow employees. And I got down before the Lord and I just simply said something like this. Lord, I've been religious. It's not been enough. I do not have life. I've got religion. But I want you. And Jesus changed my life that day. It was a face-to-face encounter marks me. I remember that day. You say, I don't remember the day. I don't remember the hour. I don't remember maybe some specifics, but you do know that Jesus changed your life if you know Jesus, right? You can tell the story. You can tell the story. Some of us sitting here, maybe watching us online this morning, you don't have that story because you've never had that face-to-face encounter. This morning could be the day that you have that face-to-face encounter where Jesus changes your life. Well, most of us in this room, probably most of us watching online, we've had that face-to-face encounter. But for some reason, it's lost its luster in our life. We don't talk about it to other people. We live in circles, family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and all of that. We're, we're around lost people all the time. But for whatever reason, we're not like Simeon and Anna and wanting others to know what Jesus has just done in our life. What would happen in their lives if you gossiped the gospel more. What's going to continue to happen if you continue to not gossip the gossip gospel? Let's go to a time of prayer. And here's my prayer for you this morning as we think about how we respond to this. Number one, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, there's no better time than today to do that. Uh, I got on my knees there in a bathroom in the showroom of an electrical and plumbing supply house that I worked at for a couple years early in college. I got down on my knees and poured my heart out to the Lord, and I stood up that day, and I'm not a mystical person. I am black and white as they come, but I remember just feeling different because everything that I had struggled with was removed. God gave me peace, rest in Him. Now, I'm not perfect. You spend some time with me, you know that I'm not very perfect, right? I'm just like you, but I'm not who I once was. God's doing a work in my heart. He wants to do a work in your heart. I also know that I struggle at times sharing the gospel with people, but the Lord's helping me with that, just like he's helping you. So let's just pray. God, this morning, would you help us to sense our needs, you know, the needs in our lives. Help us to sense where we are. Lord, this morning, there may be in this room, watching us online, people who need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, they've been walking into guilty distance. They've been searching and seeking something to fill the voidness in their life, to, to fill that God-shaped hole there, and they're cramming things in. But, Lord, it never satisfies. And today, Lord, you're helping them realize that the only thing, the only one who can satisfy is the God who created them for yourself. Pray they'd come running to you this morning. Broken turning from their sin, turning to Jesus. Father, I pray for us Christians who have experienced you. Lord, at times we forget that you are the God who satisfies. And we have the tendency to think that the things of this world can satisfy us, and yet it always leaves us longing for something more. Always leaves us unsatisfied. God, help us this morning to recognize that. And quit drawing water from that well and to draw water from you, the well of living water that springs up, bubbles up, satisfying every longing and need in our lives. 
And God, I pray that we'd take that hope, that message, and share it with our friends, share it with our family members. God, share it with people around us. God, may we be like Anna, giving thanks for the salvation we have had and doing everything we can to gossip the gospel to others. Thank you for the face-to-face encounter that we have with Jesus. God, thank you for the face-to-face encounter we can have with Jesus today. Someone who's dead in trespasses and sin, as the Bible says, in need of Jesus. And Lord, even a person who's in relationship with Jesus, but not, Lord, living as they ought to. God, help us to come home today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.